0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. A church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. As I always bring in a prayer from our prayer book tradition, begin with a prayer that we say during our communion Service that we call the Collect for Purity, which comes at the, the beginning of the service. Let's pray. I put the wrong thing here on my notes. <laughs> I, put the, the, I put the prayer of humble access. Let's pray that. That's, hey, that's just as good. Let's pray. Um, we do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord, whose property is always to have mercy. Grant us therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen. Well, that's good, because uh, next week we'll talk about worship. I'll bring in the collect. Of- for purity, then I'll make a little bit more sense. Um, but uh, the prayer of humble access actually capture, captures um, the, some of the thrust of what I want to say today about communion, so that works out. But uh, as I said, talking about there's, like I said, with confirmation, you, you know, tomato, tomato. Some people say communion, some say Eucharist, some say the Mass. Um, I like the Lord's Supper, though it's not really in our sort of parlance around here, Um, but because it's biblical. um, Actually, Eucharist is biblical in those passages of giving thanks. Thanksgiving is what Eucharist means. Um, And uh, well, anyway, I won't say anything about the mass, um, but uh, communion is also good as well um, in terms of our communion with God and each other. So, you know, I mean, it's just sort of different emphases for sort of meaning the same thing. But what I'm talking about is the practice of uh, taking, distributing bread and wine um, as Christ taught us uh, in remembrance of his His death and sacrifice on our behalf. As always, I think it's really helpful because, again, our doctrine of scripture is that it's sufficient for um, all things necessary for salvation. So scripture alone should tell us kind of enough to know about um, the Lord's Supper. There's been tons of debate over this topic over the past two millennia, though. Um, So there is some good theology, theological debate out there. Tons that you can read on the topic um, to help us understand what scripture is saying and how the church has wrestled with this. But um, So the handout I have there for you... um, um has a few passages i want to look at and uh, the the quote i've put up there again just like the prayer of humble access our communion liturgy is really helpful for understanding what's happening as it should be you know the the theology is there and most of it's an allusion to scripture Uh, and again i think as the prayer of humble access has a lot of concepts in there that i want to get across today so do these words that we say when the um the uh the minister at the table invites everyone to come forward saying, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Um, and uh, and you'll see, hopefully, uh, similar things get across in these passages. First, I just bring in the Exodus because as Baptism we talked about last week, baptism and communion are the two things we do in the church, at least here, that we call sacraments. There are other things that other people call sacraments. Some of my friends say this, some of my friends say that. But around here and in our church historically the last 500 years, we've said there are two gospel sacraments that Christ gave us, baptism and communion. Um, And as we talked about baptism last week, it's kind of the the Christ's... um, uh, 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 gave us this uh, superseding the act of circumcision. So the Old Testament uh, corollary was circumcision, no longer necessary. You know, indifferent whether you have your child circumcised anymore. In the same way, the corollary in the Old Testament to communion was the Passover meal, um, which they only did annually. This this um, this ritual of Passover, now Christ gave it to us seemingly as something we do uh, quite often when we gather, not given uh, a certain time of year. But the corollary here with communion is the Passover meal. And So this is just from Exodus 12, where Moses is explaining um, the Passover. He says, this day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. And then later, skipping some instructions about unleavened bread and killing a lamb and putting the blood on the doorpost. Uh, You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. And it's no coincidence that when uh, Christ gives the, the Lord's Supper before his death, it's during this same time of year. At the Passover, and so there are three in the in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, the institution of the Lord's Supper is um, explained. Um, In John, there are other things that are similar about eating Christ's body and drinking His blood, but not necessarily. Um, the institution of the Lord's Supper. And there's uh, in the first three Gospels, there are tons of similarities. Luke provides a little bit more information than the other two. So that's the only reason why I've included that one here. Uh, but you can look at Matthew and Mark and compare them, um, all the infos here in Luke as well. And when the hour came, he reclined at table. So he's in the upper room with them um, before he's going to be betrayed. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so now he's sort of giving them a a new rituals in place of the Passover and a remembrance of what's going to happen tomorrow when his body is literally broken and is Uh, Blood is literally spilled uh, to remember for themselves um, that atoning sacrifice on the cross. Um, So, of course, it's the Lord's Supper because he instituted it and gave it to us, gave it to his church. Just as you could say, Israel is sort of founded with the Passover. Um, The church is founded here um, during this time and. In the same way that, you know, when the covenant was given, Moses took blood and sprinkled it on the people. And they said, all this we will do in the same way his blood is going to be shed. And he's the the true Passover lamb whose blood was spilled for for the whole world. Now, the church quickly uh, gets really confused about this practice in the first century, because in first Corinthians, Paul addresses some things where <clears throat> the church, at least in corinth um, is is um, is um, is not taking the lord's Supper seriously and in uh, confusing what 's going on here and not taking the the gathered church seriously in terms of what it's supposed to mean and so you know this is just mere decades after the institution of the The Lord's Supper. And here's this passage. This is probably one of the the more helpful or most helpful passages on the Lord's Supper because it kind of recalls what Christ is doing in the institution of the Lord's Supper and also explains some more kind of theology around its meaning. So but in the following instructions, I do not commend uh, commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Um, And so here you see the horizontal dimension of communion, that what's happening is there seems to be factions in the church that are kind of hierarchical, sort of a caste system, as it were. Maybe some are taking more of the meal or going before others sort of in a segregated way and and paul is saying this is a real serious problem not not at, you don't do you might do this at other tables but don't do this at the lord's table um you're gathered uh um as a church equally as the body of christ and he goes so far to say that there's a whole spiritual dimension here um to take seriously that um that that those who um partake of the communion ought to be believers and a examine um themselves um before partaking uh and he even goes as far as to say that when we're not taking it seriously it seems to have this physical uh ramification uh, for illness uh that you know and so uh well he's saying it here you know don't don't kill the messenger i'm just saying that there's a a whole level of taking this seriously that Paul gives us that I think we often don't do. Um, We can so easily kind of be um, wrote about the whole process of communion and kind of go through the motions, you know. Um, And uh, and anyway, so uh, tons more theology in the 1 Corinthians passage. There's the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Passover that I've talked about. I'm just going to throw it out there and say, Anything that uh, comes to your mind that strikes you in reading uh, these three passages, whether that's a question or just an observation? The importance of it. Is Jesus laid down this and, and said, "This is this is important." So is Yes, absolutely. It's a it's an important part of the life of the church, to say the least. i would saying that difference in the fact that Christ had participated in the Passover is how life, but He did not participate in the Lord's Supper. Huh. No. This interesting point. Um, it was years to yeah. yeah, in all three, the uh, Institution of the Lord's Supper passages in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he says this thing about, I'm not going to um, uh, drink the fruit of the vine until um, until my coming again. Or how does he say it here in the passage? That's uh, You could imagine that as the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation. Um, and... Um, uh, so there's a uh, there's a also sort of a dimension of the Lord's Supper that's a foretaste of the supper that we will enjoy together with the Lord in eternity, and He's saying I'm I'm not going to eat this meal, as you say, until that day. Yeah. About a year or two ago, I was really struck or it was like I heard for the first time the whole you have to forgive your brother or anyone before you take communion, you know, and it's like I'd never heard that before, and um we have to, we have to forgive others, you know, as Jesus forgives us, and that's in the Lord's prayer. And it was just, it just, it never really clicked with me. And any anger we have, we have to just let it go before receiving. Yeah. So, um, um it's yeah. Uh, let really would be careful about that because. <laughs> i i 'm always a sinner when i 'm receiving communion right, right. okay but the this <coughs> but, but taking seriously what you 're saying in terms of the um the 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 um, the instruction to be reconciled uh with our neighbor before taking communion and that um uh, is a lot of what's going on here in the first Corinthians passage that there's the communion with God and also with each other as the body of Christ. And that's why our, um, our liturgy is, is structured as such that we have the um, confession and the declaration of forgiveness and the comfortable words before receiving communion. Is it supposed to enact that process? Um, And so I'll just tell a couple stories that help me to think about this, that I was thinking about this before coming in here. Um, There are a few images in my mind that are helpful for thinking about what's going on here. Um, And I'm going to lead up to talking about the peace and how that I think is actually a helpful recovery that the church made in the 20th century. But um, a couple uh, scenes from things. As we mentioned some scenes and stories last time with baptism, just to, to give you... An image in your mind. Have you seen the movie Chocolat with um, Johnny Depp and um, what's her name Judy, Juliette Binoche. Binoche? But is it Judy Dench, the older lady? Anyway, there's an older lady in uh, the movie who's um, in conflict with her um, daughter, uh, adult daughter, uh, over the, her son. So the older woman's grandson and uh, basically um, forbids the grandmother from seeing um, the grandson. Um, and uh, and the, the, there's a scene at the end of the movie, and you have to know there's a chocolate, there's a chocolate shop in France that's sort of the center of all this. And there's, so there's a Ju, Juliette Binoche is the one who runs it. And so she um, helps the older lady put together a meal at the end of the, the film. And a lot of people that are invited to this meal wouldn't normally sit at the table together, including the adult daughter uh, who's in conflict with the host. And, uh, and they all come together as a sort of surprise. And there's something about eating together at a table that it's really difficult to do when you're in conflict. Um, I don't know about you, but I just don't invite usually people to my house that I'm in conflict with. <laughs> for dinner um, without trying to make reconciliation. And there's something about that experience of being at table together that sort of demands that reconciliation with each other. And that happens in this scene in Chocolat at the end. There's a similar actual communion scene at the end of this movie called uh, Places in the Heart, um, which takes place in Texas, um, kind of pre-civil rights era. So there's racism and all that tension in the film. And the the whole town is full. All these people are in conflicts, including a black boy who's killed and strung up in the beginning of the movie by some guys from the KKK and a couple who are in conflicts and they're about to get a divorce, but they don't. a man who's who dies at the beginning of the film and a lot of the conflicts for his family stems from his death and everything's kind of straightforward in the film. But at the end of the movie, they're all in church and magically all these people, including the black boy who died and the sheriff who died, are there, too, in the scene taking communion. Um, and there are the guys from the KKK as well. Um, everybody who is antagonistic to anyone else is sitting next to that person while they're taking communion. I mean, everything else, as I said, was straightforward, but somehow this scene takes you in this whole other like eternal place, like um, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, as it were. And here they are in this country kind of, you know, Methodist or Southern Baptist church taking communion with, you know, those plates that people have with the, that they pass around the church, not like we do, where everybody comes forward and turning to the person they might have been in conflict with and saying, um, um, the, "How do they say it? The, the body of the Lord, or something like that." You know, uh, or the I think they say the peace of the Lord when they when they pass it there. Um, and and this is important because the the peace uh, was not always a part of our service until the 20th century. There was a movement around the church that um, recovered several things liturgically, and that was one of them. And I think that was a, a, a helpful recovery because it enacts that need to be reconciled, as, as you were talking about, um, with our neighbor. Um, it's difficult um, um, to, um, to... to the, the idea is that we're supposed to face the person that we might be in conflict with and shake their hands or give them a hug. You know, the, the kiss of peace is... is as Peter says. Um, and usually, the person I'm sitting next to, by the way, in church is the person I've had the most conflict with that, that week my wife and my children. <laughs> like, I don't need to go across, you know, three rows down to so and so, because actually, my conflict with my, my, my wife runs deeper. Um, and uh, so, passing the piece before I come to the table and this was uh, this struck me real hard when I first started serving in ministry just as an intern at a church giving the chalice and there was a man that I had a real conflict with uh, through some other ministry and I hadn't sort of sorted it out and he came to the rail to receive and I had to serve him the chalice and I thought in my heart I've got to make peace with this man right now right now in my heart And, and I did And I just and it went away. It went away. I just let that go away. I didn't even let him know right there. But but I had to serve him the chalice, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you. Preserve your body and soul um, to everlasting life. Uh, And so I had to come to terms in my heart before serving the chalice as a result. Um, And uh, so anyway, there's there's that uh, vertical dimension where God. Through Christ is giving us his grace and that's ultimately happened in the cross and resurrection and that's memorialized through the giving of the body and blood uh, as bread and wine in in communion for us but there's also this important dimension that because we're reconciled with God we're also able to be reconciled with our neighbors and both of those things are coming into play at communion um, there's some other things I could uh, talk to you about. I just want to skip ahead. And, uh, if you'll see the bit about the 39 articles of religion on the Lord's Supper, I don't know if I've talked about that tons here, but, um, we, we don't have a, a very, um, codified confession of faith in the Anglican church in the way that some other churches do, like Presbyterianism or Lutheranism or even Roman Catholicism has a very uh, clear set of dogmatics. The closest things that we have are number one, the 39 Articles of Religion, which is not a comprehensive document, but it's pretty good. um, Our ordinal for ordaining ministers, Our prayer book, which is not, I mean, it's so, it varies. (laughs) Uh, But we look mostly to the 1662 prayer book of England and also what was called a, a book of homilies that were written in the 1500s. At the time, the preachers just weren't trusted to preach. So the leaders of the church cooked up these book of homilies for the pastors to read Uh, This was under Queen Elizabeth I because not not all of them could be trusted to preach proper doctrine. So they gave them homilies to preach (laughs) in church. The 39 Articles of Religion basically says a lot of what's in the Book of Homilies and much more pithy statements. And one of the biggest conflicts at that time was around communion was around this very topic. And so it's actually addressed probably most extensively of all topics. And in all the 39 articles, several are given to the topic of sacraments um, in general. And then you have here uh, one on the Lord's Supper in particular. And um, and then uh, later, if you look at 29, is sort of a, a rehashing of what we looked at in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Is, um what happens if someone's not a believer trusting in Christ, taking communion? Uh, this is a, a product of its time. The idea of taking communion in both times. For some reason, the church at the time would only give the bread and the priests would take the wine. And they were saying, no, 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 the people need to be allowed to take both. That's not an issue for us anymore. But, um Anyway, and then uh, and then finally, 31, the offering of Christ finished on the cross addresses the idea of um, that the cross of Christ is full and sufficient once for all. It is finished. And so what's happening at the Lord's Supper is not a new sacrifice over and over and over again, but is, um Uh, is a memorial as as um, as uh, what do you call it Um, moses said in the exodus passage this is to be a memorial for you forever it's the same sort of idea it's not a it's not a new sacrifice of christ for us again so that's what they're addressing here that its benefits uh, were uh, full and sufficient on the cross that's enough for all of us. Um, and, um, and so anyway, well, w- let me just highlight a couple things uh, going back up to, to 25 and uh, 28. Um, the very first paragraph of the 25, I won't read all of it, but just that first paragraph. Uh, Let me look at the modernized language because that will be more understandable to us. The sacraments prescribed by Christ are badges and tokens of our profession as Christians. And more particularly, they are trustworthy witnesses and effectual signs of God's grace and goodwill to us. By them, God works invisibly in us, both arousing and also strengthening and confirming our faith in him. So two things here the church and Christians are known outwardly, can be can be known outwardly by, by the sacraments as a badge of Christian identity. Just as the circumcision was a badge of being Jewish, so is baptism. Um, and then uh, the second thing is that it's not a, a mere memorial only symbolically, we also believe, That it's not that the body, not that the bread and wine literally become the body and blood of Jesus, but that Christ is at work in us spiritually. That just as in Matthew, Christ says, in what is it, 18:10, where two or more are gathered. There I am with you. And at the end of Matthew's gospel in the Great Commission, he says, you know, don't worry, I'll be with you till the end of the age. So Christ explained to us that he has a spiritual presence in our lives. And uh, this is uh, one of the places that's most known are in the sacraments and and baptism and communion and also in, in in the word of God proclaimed. That's not said here. But that's also a a thing that we hold to be true. Um, And that's why last week we really emphasized that it's not just about the water, but the word. Um, And so uh, so there's a God is working on us in a spiritual manner, just as the the invitation. Remember, we say um, feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Um, the, the, the word, the faith and the spiritual work of the heart is the important thing. And then the Lord's Supper, number 28, the supper of the Lord is not only a sign of the love that Christians ought to have among themselves for each other, but is especially a sacrament of our redemption by Christ's death accordingly for those who rightly, worthily and with faith receive it. The bread that is broken is a partaking of the body of Christ, and the cup of blessing is a partaking of the blood of Christ. So just a more uh, robust explanation of what I tried to say. It then goes on to address that idea of it not <coughs> the literal body and blood of Christ, uh, but spiritually so. And then finally, 29, this is the last thing I'll say, and I'll open it up to comment. The The language in the, uh, the Elizabethan text for 29, I actually find... Um, um, more striking. Let me just read the Elizabethan one instead of the modern one. The wicked and such as be void of a lively faith, although they do carnally and visibly press with their teeth the sacrament of the body and blood of Christ, yet in no wise are they partakers of Christ, but rather to their condemnation do eat and drink the sign or sacrament of so great a thing. Um. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. But just poetic language of like, what's happening is they just the, the it's just the mashing of the of the bread and the wine. But the spiritual activity is not happening. The feeding of the heart on your hearts is not happening. Um, it's just a, um, it's just some silly exercise and uh, confirming that they're they're not in Christ actually and could lead someone uh, astray. Um, so, uh, any other uh, thoughts on any of this stuff, things that I can, uh, answer for you? There's so much more I could say. Actually, Andrew's at the same time teaching on this topic in the dean's class. I don't know if you noticed that. Go ahead and listen to his recording. He's actually more of an expert on this topic than I am. Um, you've just said it, getting the B team, as it were, here, uh, pinch hitting. But, um, I actually asked him to come teach here today on this, and he said, well, as it happens... I'm I'm queued up for the Dean's class to teach on the Lord's Supper on that date. So, May well. I have a question yeah. about, about scheduling. Yeah, yeah. Um, we came from a, an Episcopal church where virtually every service was Holy Communion. Yeah. Um, we're, 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 and here we're actually kind of, it's actually nice doing morning prayer. Yeah. You. Sarah and I were saying, I don't think we've heard it since we were children. Yeah. Um, but what's, give me an idea of what church. Doctrine is and how various yeah. And make that yeah. So most Episcopal churches nowadays, this is in the last 50 years or so, or movement towards having communion every single Sunday. Uh, but the early up until the early part of the 20th century, what would have been the norm is actually a communion Sunday once a month and then on um, holidays like Christmas and Easter and whatnot. Um, but there is a movement towards taking it more often. There's a certain aspect of that that I do appreciate. I mean, it is biblical that Christ says when you gather to do this in remembrance of me. Um, one of the problems, and I mean, I'm speaking uh, outside of Scripture. This is just pastorally, OK? Um, one of the problems, I think, with taking communion so often is we actually ironically trivialize it, um, And doing it uh, a little less often uh, gives us an opportunity to take it more seriously. Um, And we just have had, I don't know, some of you have been at the church longer than I can say how long the pattern is of doing it every other week. Maybe that probably goes back to the 70s or something. Yeah, the Advent is the only Episcopal church in the
1: Diocese of the Bible. Yeah,
0: morning prayer, yeah. With a regularity on Sunday. One of the things about what's called the daily office services, which are the morning prayer and evening prayer, we do evening prayer at the 5 o'clock once a month, is they're they're very helpful for engaging outsiders and uh, evangelizing unbelievers. Because there's just not, it's just the word it, 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 it's the word preached. There's not. Um, it, it, it's helpful on the engagement part, and we can preach longer sermons on those days. The, from the engagement point of view, there's no need to make a decision on those Sundays of whether you're a Christian or not. Because really, when we I'll talk, I'm going to talk about this at the five o'clock tonight when I preach. We actually do an altar call every week. It's when the priest says. Uh, the gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. That's actually our altar call. So like every week when we do that, we're asking people to walk the sawdust trail down to the altar rail. Uh, Because if you read this language, what we're trying to say is only come to take this. If you trust in Jesus Christ, if you don't consider that Um, you might want to just stay in your pew and, and pray instead um, and so the the daily office services I like because it doesn't it doesn't demand that decision every single week. It allows people to just sort of come and, and receive and consider and maybe take a week to let that meditate and then next week uh, make that sort of um, that decision it's also just one of the great beautiful traditions of our Anglican. Uh, tradition you know as you said you actually like the language and uh, uh, in some places that's totally lost uh, there's really good prayers in the the morning prayer service that uh, we just don't hear unless we we do those services um, we've gone at time i'm sorry there's so there's always so much more we can say so much more we can discuss And I really do commend uh, the recording of the class that Andrew just taught right now on uh, this topic if you're interested in hearing more and and his perspective as well. Hopefully we didn't contradict each other. (laughs) 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 Let's pray real quick before we leave. Heavenly Father, uh, for all that we've discussed, Lord, help us to discern uh, what this all means, especially for our own lives, to understand um, the reality of Christ's work of redemption on our behalf lord and um, the um, the re-energizing of faith we get uh, each week when we receive this body and blood of your son it's in his name that we pray amen. amen you've been listening to audio from the cathedral church of the advent if you live in birmingham or find yourself visiting